Mm-hmm. Yeah, and hearing your own voice too. Yeah, which was different. It was different than it is now. You know. Mm-hmm. Of course. Oh, did you hear about uh, David Stanley, David Crossland? Uh, is it true that Dave no. Stanley broke his leg trying to kick Christmas cabbage? No, so Christmas cabbage is with me, guys. He's visiting the U.S. <laughs> right now. Uh, Christmas cabbage is here in the U.S. for the moment. Um, but Dave broke his leg the other uh, the other day, Scott. He David texted Stanley. me. Yeah, okay. that's his middle name. He ha- he hates oh, the fact. Oh, Crossland. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking like okay. I'm thinking this is someone like some star or something I should know about. Okay. So no first of all, his leg. yeah. First of all, Dave uh, despises the fact that I know his middle name and that uh-huh. I. He's like my mother is the only person who's ever called me David Stanley. So uh-huh. That's what we call him that now, and everybody on the show knows his middle name. Um, it's Stanley anyway, Man. It's yeah. His new nickname. <laughs> so anyway, um, he texted me the other day, and he was like. Hey mate, I'm not going to be able to redo. I'm not going to be able to record the podcast today. I broke my leg. I was like, "What?" He was like, "Yeah." So it turns out he was chasing two shoplifters, and, uh, and he tumbled down the stairs with one of them. He did capture them. They were they uh-huh. were detained, uh, but he broke oh, broke the top of his fit tibia. Ooh, like the tibial plateau. Yeah, it broke right <laughs> at the top too, which is a weird place to break your leg, isn't it? That's kind of. Yeah, yeah. Painful. Yeah, when they talk about like knee replacements, which, you know, obviously involve that area of the tibia that's really, really painful. Yeah, no kidding, man. It's bizarre, dude. And he's not in a, like a health position where it's like, yeah, you'll bounce back. He's an older guy now. You know, mm-hmm. he's got various health ailments and stuff. So he's not, he's not super light now. It's not like he's pared himself down. He's still, you know, he's still over 300 pounds, I imagine. Or yeah, to at least. yeah, he's around because he lost, he lost a good amount. I, I think he's under three now because he now. started. Okay. Di- yeah, he started dieting several months ago, and mm-hmm. uh, he's stuck with it, and he's gotten leaner and leaner. But now I'm sure like he can't walk and do cardio, so it's not going to be to mm-hmm. his benefit here, you know. Yeah, well, at least he's starting off lighter. You know, it would have been worse for four or five months ago when he was still heavier. But that sucks. Yeah. yeah. Must have, oh man. So we had a bunch of questions here. What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Scott McNally here, of course, with Scott Stevenson, the the smart Scott, as Dave calls you. <laughs> smart Scott. And uh, we're here for a live episode of Muscle Minds this Sunday morning. You guys can drink some coffee and uh, hang out with uh, Scott and I. How's that sound? Mm-hmm. Should I share this on Facebook? Um, yeah, no, that's all right, man. That's all right. We're good. We okay. shared afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, guys, all of our programming, of course, is always brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for additional savings. Uh, High-quality third-party tested supplements. I've used True Nutrition since before they, long before they sponsored our programming. In fact, the reason that they advertise with us is because I specifically went on my way to ask them. They're a company that completely align with what we do. Uh, we are brought to you by Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. That's Scott's book. Which is literally a one-stop shop, right, Scott? To basically plan your off-season, carry it out, plan your contest prep, carry it out, plan your peak and carry it out, and then plan your rebound after that. Like, literally, it takes you up to the stage. If you don't want to hire a coach, literally for 60-something bucks for the the ebook or or $100, you can have the hard copy and highlight it and stuff. It literally is mm-hmm. the investment that you can make to do it all yourself plus you have a forum right scott that 
people can like go there and ask you questions if they've bought the book and and get follow up information, right? Yeah, I, I've had um, every time I get an inquiry for a consultation, which which I love to do. I always tell people first and foremost, if you bought the Fortitude Training Book, you're free to the forum. You can get in the forum, and it costs like three dollars a month. Um, okay. And if people if people come to me and they have some kind of unformed questions. They want a consultation. I always like to say, "Hey, if you got the book, read the book. Chances are it's answered in the book." And then sometimes I do let people into the forum just for free, so they can I can answer those questions for them there. So yeah, the forum is is free if you bought the forty training forty training book. And people have asked all sorts of questions imaginable, and um, I actually push people to the book first because because mm. a, a one hour consultation. And this is kind of my this has been happening a lot in like the last few weeks. I have people come to me and they don't really know quite what they want to ask. They just want to I almost feel like they just want to be in my presence. They can't formulate a very specific question per se. Okay. And I say, I'll answer your question for free in the forum. Mm-hmm. That way I can help all these other people and I can sort of wind through, um, you know, delineating what it is that you'd like to know, what it is that you're confused about. Because sometimes I'll get people, their goals will be like, tell me, I want to know your very, very specific goal. Give me a timeline give me a measurable outcome, et cetera, and their goal. And then they'll come back with, I want to be as big as possible. Yeah. Like, okay. Okay. So we can't like, how are we going to know that? Right. We can't even measure. How would we know? So um, yeah, the forum is there for people to ask questions for everyone to benefit. So I, I lose a lot of money. I could just sort of <laughs> put people in and just say, yeah, okay, we'll just sit here and shoot the bull for an hour. I'll charge you for that. But um, yeah, so the forum is, is totally underutilized. Um, and, uh, I wish it were you, we use more because forums are great for long form interaction. Yeah. And well, it is it there, guys. It doesn't happen. It's there. It is yeah. there. If you guys want to take advantage of it. And of course we're brought to you by uh supplement source.ca for our Canadians. They have great deals that change week to week. Thank you to everybody, by the way, from Patreon. If you're here with us today and you want to ask a question and you're from Patreon, then be sure to make a note and say, hey, I'm from Patreon. I have a question that I'll I'll, I'll do better to try to make sure I get to it. You guys are all welcome to ask questions, by the way. Scott and I are hanging out for this basically impromptu episode of Muscle Minds. Uh, Like I said, hanging out on this Sunday morning. You guys can check it out on replay later. We did have a few, Scott, that came up um it, before we even started the show okay. did you have it were, did any of those jump out to you i know there was one talking about uh rebounding um i mean there was the one about rebounding there was one about protein synthesis last longer when you do more volume um there's um estradiol 3 dioxy and deoxy and there was the one about um growth hormone timing were there mm-hmm. any of those that you would like to start out with? I'll, I'll pull that up. Um, yeah. If there's one in particular. Do we need to um, make sure we cross or watch our eyes and watch out for... We want to be careful. Crossing our T's. Yeah. Yeah. We <laughs> okay. want to be careful with YouTube okay. in there. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. But we, but we can still talk about the science of, you know, anabolics and all that. Uh, yeah. But, but we just want to be a little bit careful with it. That's all. And it is right. what it is. If we say stuff that they're not happy with, then so be it, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there was one one question about, uh, and you can, it's the first one, I think, at the top of that list that came across, and sort of hypothetically pointing towards someone who is enhanced, the rebound phase. There you go, bingo. And Mike's here with us today. I saw him chime in. Yes. So he's, he's ready to hear this. 
to use low to moderate levels of androgenic based um, super supplements. <laughs> you say it that way. Yep. There versus you go. Versus mm-hmm. higher, higher levels of um, growth promoting peptide hormones, such as growth hormone itself, or the other way around. Um, so there's a lot of ways you can look at this. First of all, um, depends on where you're coming from, what low and high is. So um, mm. generally dropping everything down, and I have a whole, I think it was like a 45-minute video that went up on John Meadows' site about a month or so ago about rebounding the whole thing. So maybe this is where this is coming from. Maybe maybe Michael's seen that already. Um, of those two, the more toxic is going to be the former, the androgenic. And that's going to be the thing I think that's most important to kind of clear out of your system. Mm. Right. Yeah. Not have a crash in terms of the anabolism there, but more so get those out, especially those things that are taken orally. Those are the ones that are going to be the most hepatotoxic. So those need to come out. So I think just based on that, I'm going to go with the former. Um, Mm. If you have to choose one, um, that example of 18 IUs is pretty high. That's a large amount. Um, I mean, I'm presuming this is probably a black market growth hormone. If you've got pharmaceutical growth hormone, that's, that might be more than a lot of people could ever handle, um, especially because one of the things, one of the hurdles you have post-show is dealing with water retention. And let's say someone tends to retain water. Some people, whatever amount of growth hormone they use, they just get carpal tunnel right off the bat. You know, and that's, that's likely due to water retention some degree, to some degree. So that much growth hormone is probably overkill. Um, it may be just you know, beyond someone's budget, to be honest. I think the idea is is to be had from using growth hormone. Um, this is why I think it could be one one mechanism whereby it could be so helpful for people is that in a gaining phase, which is what this is going to be, you've got the lipolytic actions of growth hormone. So it's going to help you keep fat off. Um, I've always sort of suspected that you know when people add growth hormone in, you look at growth hormone and look at animal work or in vitro work of course yeah it's anabolic tends to be more anabolic towards connective tissue proteins and skeletal muscle proteins um but in combination with insulin yada 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 um but it is lipolytic so if you got a scenario where you've got to eat in excess of course enough to supply the energy and of course the, the building materials and amino acids etc for muscle growth then and you're able to do that without putting on as much fat because you've got something like growth hormone in play hmm. that's going to allow you to for whatever increment muscle mass you get um you're freeing up energy actually literally from those adipose sites so you're getting energy for the building process this is what happens when people recomp without any drugs involved people who are completely untrained will put on muscle and lose fat at the same time right so some of that energy is being used to fuel the anabolic process Sure. So if you got a situation where you can somehow turn on your um, use of fat or prevent that accumulation of body fat, like in a rebound situation, that's to your benefit. Now, the main, I think the main way to go about that is to take your time, right? So this is, this is kind of the, this is sort of the trick is we had talked about this, all the podcasts, the conversations, the constantly they all blend together. Up. Yeah. They all blend together, man. But the Minnesota mini starvation study, oh, yeah. um, yeah, we, we may have talked. It's about been that a while. Some here. of the listeners might not have yeah. heard that, you know. Yeah, but one one of the things they sort of found there when they let the people sort of free feed 
is that the first thing that they did was they got sort of this overshoot of body fat, and that seemed to taper off when their fat-free mass got to back to where it was before hmm. the starvation took place. Um, so you got to be the, – the point from there is you have to be careful because if you're coming back, let's say you lost the muscle after a show or during the course of dieting after a show, and then you're coming back, if you just let your, your appetite you know, rule the roost – then chances are you can end up getting back to your pre-contest diet body body fat levels before you've gotten back to your um, pre-contest muscle mass levels. Yeah. And that's not where you want to be. Then you're in a worse, worse place than you were when you started your diet. Ideally, you want it the other way around. So you can put on fat much faster than you can put on muscle mass. So if we go slow enough and we allow that muscle mass to accrue at the appropriate time, this is sort of the trick, the idea mm-hmm. um, that you can then – end up 12 weeks later, 16 weeks later, it's sort of the, the, the post-contest time time period that mirrors when you started your diet in a situation where you've got more muscle mass relative to the body fat. So you've got, you've got um, you know, the same amount of muscle mass, less body fat, you weigh less, or you weigh the same with less body fat either way around. Yeah. But So that's where growth hormone would help, or that's where taking your time would help. And this is where, you know, it's got, it's an individual thing. If you built that muscle or, or held onto that muscle with, can I say the word with G and it sounds like ear? That one, that one I can say? Sure. Oh, of course. Okay. We talk about gear I all day I don't long. want to YouTube. To, Scott, to, to, Scott's being okay, careful. Good. So the last yeah, recording so, yeah. we did after we, yeah. after we finished the live show, guys, it was immediately like uh, nixed the, by monetization, but then they ended up giving it back to us later. So okay. Scott's trying to be extra careful for that reason, but yeah. I appreciate that. We're good. Yeah. Yes. I don't, I don't know what the buzzwords are. So yeah. So if you, so if, if that was what was responsible for you putting on or holding that amount of muscle mass, that's yeah. part of what is keeping that muscle mass at that level. Um, then if you completely eliminate that, then you're not, you can't expect to have a very successful rebound. So the thing to weigh is, and this is where, um, and there's another question on post-show rebound, and, and I think how to do this is that sometimes post-show, um, John Meadows was a perfect example of this, a highly, highly successful bodybuilder, right? Yeah. He would just take a month off. He would, a lot of times he would just, and I've talked to John many times, we would compete, do shows together before you guys pro card, and then he wouldn't train for like a month. He would lose weight hmm. and didn't have a big appetite, but he needed that time off. And I delineate this in my beer and bodybuilding coach book is there are some situations where like you've, you've done everything right. You did well, your show, let's say the motivation is turned on. You're ready to rock and roll. Your, your next, your next destination is the Mr. Olympia stage, right? Yeah. Which could be true for some listeners, but for most of us, not even close, but you're ready to roll. So you go into the gym and you're having to hold yourself back. Now you've got food in the system. You look awesome, but you're well fed. So you're not starving. You feel much better. You're just, you're on, you're, you're high, you're on a post-show high and you're ready to just knock it out. Then there's sometimes like, ah, you're kind of la-di-da. So you just want to sort of hang in there and maintain things. And there are other situations where you may be like John, where like you gave your, gave it your all, you emptied yourself. You need to do nothing. post-show, yeah. Right. So you've got that scenario of how you feel and how you want to auto-regulate as well as whatever toxicity you built up and then trying to prevent yourself from crashing. So let's say you're someone who, who just by their own admission recognize I've abused PEDs in gear. I need to just get off this stuff. I need to like come clean. I need to, I need to restart my life. All yeah. my relationships have gone to hell. Like everything is <laughs> gone to hell in a handbasket. It's really bad. That person might just say, okay, I'm going to get in there and train three times. I'm going to go back to a DC training protocol. It doesn't right. take much time. I know I'm holding on to size pretty well that way. I'm going to just 
get off everything without crashing and go back to like an HRT level. And then when I get out of this six, eight post week con- post contest period, then I can rethink that might be a situation. Someone else might be like, Hey, maybe someone like dusty who I know is this thing's kind of, you know, um, interesting to hear what people's thoughts on how he actually did his off season, mm-hmm. which was with minimal stuff. And he, let's say someone diets down and they don't use a whole lot. They don't feel toxed out. They're like, you know what? Another four, six weeks, reducing my, taking my orals out, having some semblance of what I used um, to support that muscle mass that I had during my pre-contest diet. Yeah. I'll keep that in place. So, so not going back down make, to TRT. Not, not quite. Yes, this would be yeah. that sort of in-between scenario where you feel like, you know, I can train and make some gains and I want to get this muscle mass back. And now I've got food. So I'm going to use, as Dante would say, I'm going to use food as my primary anabolic and yeah. just be smart about it and not just sort of eliminate. Because let's, let's say you just, let's say you're using every, all, all were short acting compounds, mm-hmm. right? And then you take the orals out and then, so you just drop it all off and two weeks later, you're hypogonadal and you're thinking that you're going to have effectively regain any muscle mass you've lost or effectively have a rebound in that hormonal state. Well, that's probably not likely. Um, that could even be, you know, because of psychological reasons that um, especially if you do go hypogonadal, that's not a great place to be physiologically either. So that would make sense. So there's in between stage where I think it makes sense to go to the less toxic compounds. So if favoring growth hormone is something that someone wants to do, they have the money for it, they're willing to take the risk, et cetera, et cetera. That seems like a, a more viable approach. I don't know that 18 IUs makes sense because of the water retention issues and the cost and that's probably overkill if we think, and I'm looking at this for another um, uh, presentation from John Meadow's site. If we think about um, what that much growth hormone is going to do, one of the mechanisms whereby that might help with growth could be the release of IGF-1 from the liver. So the systemic IGF-1 levels. That's what people look at when they want to test whether growth hormone is real or not, right? Hmm. You go in and do the 10 IU growth hormone bioassay. Um, and if you're in a scenario now post-show where you're starting to eat up, your IGF-1 levels are going to be pretty high. They're going to be on the rise anyway. So you've already got that to your advantage. Probably overkill to do 18 IU. Um, yeah. yeah. And he did say, by the way, uh, he mentioned, he said it is farm grade that he has. So that's some crazy, Ooh. crazy insulin, or a crazy growth. You know what I would be curious about is um, insulin sensitivity. And if you yes. were to greatly increase that post show, how would that affect your insulin sensitivity? What you know, we, we know that like post show, man, it's your that's really what that's what the rebound is all about is that you have that awesome insulin sensitivity. Like we don't need to use exogenous insulin at that point to get that super compensation effect. Like it just mm-hmm. happens, man. And yeah. if you don't believe it, if you're completely depleted down eat a burger and fries and tell me if it doesn't have like a noticeable effect within that 10 minutes like you start sweating everything gets like mm-hmm. all pumped up you're covered in veins you know and you're going to get a hell of a pump if you went and trained at that point too so i wonder if you were running 18 units could you be basically you know uh cutting off your foot for that you know yeah the, the thing that's interesting um there are people who have done like, you know, an off season, like 20 IUs of farm grade stuff in it, you know, and if you're a responder to growth hormone and that's the highly variable thing, yeah. it can be like, it just turns you and just could be just turned you into a 
a monster, right? I don't think that doesn't happen to everybody. It just it just simply doesn't. Yeah. I hate I hate to I want to tell the truth, but I hate to get people thinking well, I, that's the way I got I got what I got to do. I got to go find eighteen high use. Yeah. I mean, farm grade. What would that cost you? Like that would be a couple thousand a, lot. a month or something. I can't even easy. imagine. Oh yeah. man, yeah. Depending on yeah. your pricing, but easy, you know. Yeah, easily. Um, so I don't I don't think I think that's a waste. To be honest, I think that's just overkill. Eighteen is just overkill, especially when you know people, you know, four or five of farm grade stuff is equivalent to. 12 or 15 of you know underground that's considered good underground hmm. right so and it, yeah exactly for that reason that you say that's the thing with with growth hormone and if, with that much um i don't even i don't even know to what extent um you would be shooting yourself in your foot specifically in terms of insulin sensitivity but to what extent when you get to that high level um you're starting having diminishing returns in terms of lipolysis Mm. oh yeah yeah but also and also having you know to what extent does the insulin sensitivity get worse when you go above eight i use versus Mm. 18 um and to what extent then would you get greater igf1 levels and igf1 tends to help with glucose disposal so that does Mm. it does act as as insulin does it's insulin like and does have some binding affinity to the insulin receptor so they're like that's kind of um that's super physiological, unknown, unknown uh, territory. You've got all this lipolysis that's way beyond normal. You've got IGF-1s that way, that way beyond normal. And you've got an impact of insulin sensitivity that's way beyond normal. And maybe for some people, that combination might be magical. For other people, it could just completely um, shoot them in the foot. Yeah, so, we got a bunch of other stuff here, too. Um, so Mike Devereaux did say, uh, he said, uh, it was just a fun hypothetical uh, thought experiment. So he's, he's probably not going to try that. Um, I did want to mention, uh, this comment here. We hear this a lot on the channel. He said, uh, awesome channel guys, amazing and uh, info in depth. I struggle to keep up, but there is so much info, but a wealth of info to go back and watch, keep up the hard work. You know, Scott and I have been recording this show for years now, right? Like since 2016. Mm-hmm. I don't always follow everything either, you know. <laughs> I don't. But because okay. I'm also the editor, I go back and I edit. I listen to every episode at least twice, if not three or four times. So it, it, it sometimes, you know, that's the benefit that this is recorded. You guys can go back. Um, and before we got into another big question, I did see somebody somebody from here in Michigan commented I just wanted to throw this one up. Here it is. Because he said, hey, Scott, I started bodybuilding at Powerhouse in Garden City, Michigan, way back in the day. Do you remember that gym? Steven says this. So I do remember that gym. And Scott, there used to be like a powerhouse gym in every couple suburbs, like every little city Mm -hmm. we had. Every couple cities, there was a powerhouse gym. So there was Powerhouse Garden City. uh, There was Powerhouse Westland, Powerhouse Canton. They were all uh, within several miles, like awesome. two miles from there, two miles from there. And they were all early 90s, uh, late 80s, hardcore gym equipment. So like the mm-hmm. full hammer strength line, dumbbells up to at least 125, 130, maybe 150. Uh, you know, just basically all that Cybex machines and, you know, all the early 90s stuff. Anything Mitsuro we would be shooting video of, they were like right. those machines, you know. Yeah. I do remember that. Separate gym. owners or the or, or- 
Or some of them were owned by the same people. It was franchised okay. out uh, by right. uh, uh, Will and Norm Dabish, the original owners of uh, okay. and creators of Powerhouse Gym in Detroit. I do remember that Ooh. gym, and then it closed down, and then they reopened under another name. Uh, and I can't remember I, what happened from there. I used to train in Canton, by the way, Stephen. So I trained at the Canton mm-hmm. Powerhouse, and I trained some at Westland Powerhouse. But my home was the Farmington Hills Powerhouse, which at the time was World Headquarters. World Headquarters now moved to Novi, Michigan. Um, there was something here, Scott, I wanted to ask you, because I thought this one would be great for you. Tina, one of our, um, one of our educated listeners who appreciates the show, uh, she said, uh, I listened to a podcast recently, I think it was Justin Harris, who said the Minnesota study was reanalyzed and showed hyperflasia was eliminated only when the muscle mass was restored, not body fat. Right. That's just what I mentioned, actually. That was so what just... it, yeah. So what she and she commented at that time. Can you just explain that? What's what she means by this? The hyperphagia means excessive increased hunger. So okay. excessive eating. So, so, yeah. So what they did is they they tracked it was I think they they followed as kind of a subset Maybe that was a reanalysis. There's, I had like the original publication, and then there's, I have several publications. So maybe this is what they mean by a reanalysis. But there's a plot I can see it in my mind's eye because I've used it in, um, in a podcast and a presentation. And so that what they did, they dieted them down, and they sort of, or they starved them, semi-starved them, held them at that period for a while, and then they let them just eat, right? And um, and what happened was you might have expected if we if we go through go from the idea of a, just a lipostat, right? So like a like a thermostat in your in your house controls the temperature okay. to cease out a static temperature. So thermostat. We have homeostasis, so some sort of um, s- static set point, so to speak, for whatever variable. So we have homeostasis in terms of cell size homeostasis in terms of body temperature um, of course homeostasis in terms of hormones and you can talk about homeostasis in terms of the amount of fat mass you have and that would be like the lipostat idea um, and there's sort of a, the idea also of a proteostat that to some degree um, the body's protein content the fat free mass of the muscle mass is what we're worried about is something that also determines how the body regulates itself so if your body fat's really low, if you go by the purely by the lipostat idea, if that actually held true 100%, once your body fat got up to whatever your set point is, and we can also talk about settling points, but just pure physiologically, um, the set point would be that the body physiologically regulates itself. The settling point is that we're also influenced by, by outside um, influences. So you go into work, right, and every day in work, there's some, you know, horrible woman brings in these grammy's secret recipe chocolate chip cookies and puts them right there at the front desk and everyone eats those right you might see if you compared that office to the neighboring office where there's no such thing and they can't smell the cookies that everyone even if you put twins in there let's say you do with like this massive twin study you might have higher body fat in the in the office where they're constantly refreshing the freshly baked chocolate chip cookies yeah because there's a settling activity action whereby the, the environment dictates where our body fat goes. And this sort of makes sense if you think about it in terms of, I'm getting off on a tangent here, but like society, you know, we have all this quote unquote food, high fat, high sugar processed food that we eat. 
and you know our our body fat levels keep on rising because of this it's not that our genetics is changing so rapidly maybe our epigenetics are adapting to it perhaps as well but um so the act, the outer activity but anyway we've got a lipostat thought that the body fat is the major regulating thing and that's what's sort of been um it's probably the most important the body fat levels but also the idea of the proteostat so if your muscle mass is low that's also important right if you're if you let's say you have some bizarre situation where um, an animal or human had been starved down to a very very low level of body fat and lost a lot of muscle mass Mm -hmm. and then just all of a sudden got all its body fat back like just like here you go here's all the fat you can you can eat and its body fat get but it doesn't have the muscle mass what's going to be still be weak and physically fragile so it makes sense also to regulate around muscle mass this is where this kind of idea of a proteostat comes into play and people can also look up a um a term called uh, protein leveraging and that sort that's of that's what suggests... tina just said Boom. okay <laughs> yeah. all right i didn't see that um yeah. yeah so this protein leveraging idea is that is that to some degree our appetites and our, our desire to seek out food is dependent upon making <laughs> there we go she so she's with me so she she already knows this what i'm i'm, I'm preaching the choir here tina thank you for supporting me um uh, so, but for people who are interested in this, so this, pro, this, this protein leveraging idea is that we we seek out food so that we can, we can at least meet our protein requirements, meet essential amino acids, et cetera. So this Minnesota semi-starvation study showed that the people overate, overfed, overfed, and then, um, eventually they only stopped overeating so that hyperphagia went away when their fat-free mass got back to where it was before they started, which we presume was sort of their set point, so to speak. Yeah. So that suggests that the proteo, there was a proteostatic mechanism in place driving their behavior and their eating behavior, their, their appetite. Um, so that's the idea that, you know, we got to be careful back to the, the whole point of this is that, you know, if you're, 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 you're going to appetite. What I ch- tell people with my clients, especially post-show the way I typically do sort of a rebound is I want them to be hungry, mm-hmm. not like just starving where they can't think or whatever, but I want them to be some, want there to be a certain amount of appetite. That's, that's tolerable. Um, until we do though, until we interject those meals, which are typically peri and post-workout where they, where they then, and those are gradedly um, progressively increased over time to ensure weight gain at the rate we want, but you want to be hungry otherwise. Yeah. And that sort of gives you some uh, some feedback that okay, you know I haven't gone past um, you know the point where I've, now I've got minimal appetite because my body fat's so low. So it's that's you know obviously you can use a scale, you can use calipers, what have you, various ways. But staying hungry like that to some degree is something I try to keep in place until eventually you can't because you won't make any more progress. Eventually, when you're full blown off season, then the idea is that you're never hungry. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you never want to eat another meal because you're always eating in excess but um appetite is something that you have to kind of watch for because it'll just blast you into adequate um body fat and then to get the muscle mass back well then you're kind of shit out of luck right it's like okay i got my my body fat's back to where it was but i don't have my muscle mass what am i going to do diet i gotta diet back down again yeah which is and and there's no show yeah i'm dealing with that right now with a guy it was his first show and he told me he said hey there's another girl from the gym and i saw her compete and then she bloated up afterwards and that's the last thing i want to do and uh great great guy like a a real smart dude mathematical thinker 
And he's, you know what? I showed you his pictures. He was the guy who had to move down to Tennessee and he set up his, uh, he set up like a car hauler as his home in a campground. Uh, Well, for like the last eight weeks of his prep, he was living in a campground because he's a Uh consultant with a big, uh, you know, motor company, all that. Anyway, um, so he does the show and he's good for about a week and then he dropped off the face of the earth and he stops checking in. So now I see him again. That was back in June. And now he's extremely bloated. He, the weight is way up. You know, you can still see the outline of his abs, but he's just holding like just so much fluid and mess. Like the only way to really get him to move forward now is going to be to unfortunately, like you literally can ruin your freaking off season. And I didn't realize that in my mm-hmm. first or second show, it wasn't until I had kicked myself, you know, in the butt a number of times made, making mistakes that you really that it that it's the hardest part, man. Post show is the hardest part of the diet because you don't have that contest looming anymore. You don't have the stress of knowing that your family and friends are going to be there. You know, like you just nobody. You, there's less accountability, and and once you start adding that food, I'm telling you that hunger gets higher. You know, and. Oh, yeah. With all that, man, that's it's the hardest part. But if you can hold it together, that really is where you can make the best progress. I mean, this guy's kind of screwed now. We're gonna have to pull back. It's 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 mm-hmm. taking time that he could have been growing in order to try to get this under control. And the reality is, it's never gonna be like it was coming straight out of the show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the thing is, too, um, most many people will tend to isolate themselves during prep. Yeah. Right? And he's and he I know what it's like to live in a trailer. I mean, I, I've done that many times in my RVs over the years. Um, and he may come home and there's no one there, maybe in the trailer park. There's no one there or maybe no one he wants to hang out with or he feels, you know, a familial type or friendly relationship with. So you've got this food. Right. And it feels yeah. great. Your, your brain loves the loves all the food coming in. So you've already set up sort of your relationship with your surroundings during that prep, which may be totally different than ever. You've you've become very much a monk, right? And now you come out of that and you, you don't, you, maybe you don't have, or you've neglected those other relationships with people. And you've, you've, you've also, this was, was this his very first show? Did you say? Yeah. Yeah, it was his very first show. So now his relationship with food has become totally different, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's never had that before. You don't realize just, just how much, um, how much of like disordered, disordered eating comes into play when you get Mm -hmm. that level of hunger, you know, people start questioning themselves like, Oh my God, you know, do I have a problem here? And you kind of, you kind of do, you know what I mean? You kind of set yourself up for it. Absolutely. The, The thing like, this is why I have the the post show period as the first main chapter of the book because I think it's the most mm. important part of the whole thing. It's it's the it's the part where people can get in the most trouble. They can totally ruin their relationship with with just fitness and and bodybuilding in general, be it competitive or not. Um, if they're they can completely ruin what could be a nice and maybe life giving relationship with getting on stage as a competitive bodybuilder. I mean, it's so important to, you know, to figure out how to, especially at that first show, figure out how to come out of that. And the thing that I think is, is that ha- doesn't happen with coaches. Like, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're there for him because a lot of coaches like, okay, that's it. We did. We got your, you know, we got your trophies. You got your placings. Okay. That's, that's great. You know, hit me up whenever you want to do it again. And, and they just, you know, throw them to the wolves basically. And that's for sure. kind of what you're doing. Yeah. So you have to have something in place to, to, to keep you, um, 
somewhat motivated. You just can't lose all that structure. So, you know, the, the, the presentation I gave for John's site, the, the talk was on post-contest supplementation. So we have reverse dieting, and then we have reverse supplementation, but we also have to re- reverse the lifestyling. Right, so it has to be yeah. reverse lifestyling. I'm just coining a term. Someone's That's probably great. said that before, but but that has to happen too because I mean, you, some people get in this place where like so many of their relationships with with food, with their environment, everything has been completely distorted and thrown off off kilter, and they got to bring that back into balance somehow, and that has to happen, you know, just gradually to some degree. So all of a sudden, you just hmm. can't go back and like you just, it used to be before you start two years ago, like. You just go out and have some food, get your yeah. full, and then you go home. You're good. That doesn't work two, hour, two weeks after a show. Yeah. You go home, and you eat and eat and eat. And then, like, I remember, I'll never forget this, Scott. It was, I was like, I wasn't prepared for it at all. My, after my very first show, um, I got up in the morning. I went and had McDonald's. It's like great, great choice, right? But it was open, and I was hungry. It was early. Sure. And then we, and then we went to an all-you-can-eat Chinese buffet. Oh. Right? Perfect out of the choice. frying pan Didn't into the fire. Either. Yeah. <laughs> and and I and I remember um eating, I think I ate a plate, it was great. I had another plate and my stomach was really small. I dieted and it was just, you know, pretty insane. I did everything possible to try to get in shape. Yeah. Obviously didn't know what I know now. And I remember sitting there and and I you know, I've been in this situation before, but this time this was like totally surreal. I was so full i'm like i i thought literally i might have hurt myself like i, I might rupture my stomach yeah like there's going to be there's something that's going to tear and my hunger was not diminished in the least no no i was ready to just devour 10 more plates of food and i literally was in so much is it is almost as if like someone stabbed me in the leg and it was just killing me and i'm still hungry at the same time it's it's like it's like it was this total divergent set of yeah. set of cognitive processes going in my mind. Like, oh my god, I don't know what to do with this. Should I throw up? What should I do? I, I didn't throw up. Yeah. But in fact, in fact, it felt like it would have hurt too much to throw up because my stomach was so distended. It's like this, like this is like this is. I'm not even. I couldn't even move. I didn't want to get up and move. I've got stories like that, that too, man. I've oh, got stories like that. It's it's the worst. I I wanted to say too. Uh, yes. Thank you, Tina. She threw us a super chat. For ten dollars, we oh. really appreciate that. Thank you. And sweet, she commented that she is three weeks out and sub ten percent body fat. So yes, you will need to be very careful post show. And you know what? She commented uh, at the group. She made a post. Uh, by the way, guys, if you're not part of the Facebook group, you're welcome to join. A lot of times, the live shows we that we don't do here, we post at the the the, the Facebook group for Think Big. She had made a post saying, "Hey, thanks for the great you know education and stuff." She had lost her husband a number of years back and she went through some depression, she said, and she got into running and then she got into fitness and now she's getting ready for her first show. And now from based off of this comment, she is three weeks out. So congrats to her. And yeah, definitely, you know, be super careful. We got a bunch more stuff though, Scott. Um, We did have some, we we have like a bunch of stuff that relates to post show. Now we got everybody thinking about that. I'm going to switch gears just a little bit though to pre-contest okay so existence that's an interesting way of spelling it he says um he's currently five weeks out and he's pretty much in condition but he's having a hard time holding strength especially in his pressing um how concerned should he be mentally it is uh you know it's like a mind screw 
You know, he says mentally mm-hmm. it's tough, and it is, man. When you're losing strength, you're like, Whoa, what's going on, right? <laughs> yeah. If he's if he's truly in shape, if he's really there, um, like he could get in, get on, on stage in a week. Um, I don't know. These are just general thoughts because I don't know exactly where where he is and how he actually looks. But um, this is a couple things that I would do with someone in that case is I would do a practice peak week. Mm. Um, and then I, and this happens, and I've said this a million times. Like the way I do peak weeks, pretty much you, people universally come up come out of that peak week in better shape and actually recovered. Like once they once they once they done gone through the whole week and they're like they saw themselves on the Monday of that practice peak week and they look at themselves on the Monday of the Tuesday afterwards, they're leaner. Yeah, yeah, but for the sure. Way that, but the way that works, and if you're doing a peak week correctly, you should be getting rid of some of that fatigue, right? So you're going to train the full body over the first part of the peak of the, of the week, limit your carbs to some degree, have a nice big carb up, which you probably hasn't had for a while, and you get to practice the water, all, you, all that stuff you're going to do. Don't do anything like crazy harsh, like I don't use diuretics with people anyway, but don't kind of do anything with it that stresses you out, but practice the basic mechanics of what you want to do peak week wise. So you can get an idea of what works and what doesn't work. And now you've got a protocol in place and that serves purposes of one, getting you leaner, which is of course awesome. But two, if he, let's say he finishes training on Wednesday and he goes and has a mock show on Saturday, he kind of takes Sunday off and does some stuff with his family or whatever. Then he's just had four days off of training. Right. And that can help with the recovery. Um, the second thing that, pops out at me is that you just want to maintain your strength so i'm always when i have people shift their training when they get to this sort of point i always suggest taking volume down and keep and, and trying to hold on to at least one maximal effort set per exercise so they can kind of depending on who knows what split he's doing but so they can keep that strength in, in place and resting more so let's say he's got you know he's been doing three sets of squats he might go down to two sets of squats and his squats were, you know, 365 for 10 and then 405 for six or something like that. Right. Yeah. And then, and then he do, or maybe he goes four or five for, for six, 365 for 10 and then he gets 365 for eight. He might drop that. And now he's finding that those are becoming like five and nine or what have you. He might drop that third set out and make sure he really focuses on that first set instead of giving him, give himself some extra rest. So, his workouts might be just as long, but he's going to spend more time resting and keeping the quality of the stimulus in place. And I really think you're not going to just totally detrain. We know from the detraining studies in both endurance and resistance exercise, you can maintain strength really, really well with a much reduced volume. So keep the quality of his work up during, during those, those workouts, rest more, use a logbook at least for like an all out set on the big lifts, you know, not the next, count every like have to do all out like how many crunches did i do or something like that you don't have to worry about some of those smaller things but and just make sure that he holds on to that size because if he tries to keep at that volume at his current current trajectory it sounds like he's going to just um train over literally over train and lose yeah. performance yeah. i love that idea man of the the yeah. mock peak week plus you get awesome feedback you know and and what mm-hmm. you're going to do you know i i had started experimenting with um uc suma who you know we you've known him for mm-hmm. a long time, Matt Marshall. He um, he we got him in shape early, and and he's doing incredible, man. And we decided to do a. He, he was going to compete in September, 
But we we started moving, and then I said, let's just keep going and see if we can get you ready early, and then basically mm-hmm. remove all the cardio and increase the food and just ride this in. And and now we are actually going to do a show this next week, so a week from cool. yesterday, and we started doing just small small manipulations. Like he's in that position, Scott, where he looks incredible, like you know, all, all day, mm-hmm. every day. And I figured, like, let's give him a high day and then see how you look the next day. Let's Mm -hmm. give you a high day and drink half as much water. Let's, you know, all stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And we finally settled on this. So he drinks about two gallons a day. And if he keeps the if he cuts the water, he looks flat. Okay, but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, drinking water as normal, he takes a half a tab of hydrochlorothiazide when he wakes up Mm -hmm. the next day. He looks even better. Mm-hmm. Like just, yeah. and that's it. That's it. Like we're going to, yeah. we're going to, so we're basically, my game plan for him is we're going to do a moderate carb load on Thursday and then very little activity on Friday, drinking water as mm-hmm. normal all through that. Then Friday night, half a tab of hydrochlorothiazide, and then we'll control water on Saturday morning into the show mm. with mod- mild food. And literally that's, that's the complete gist of the manipulation for the peak, you know? You don't have to be when you're in shape, man. You don't got to do much. Yeah, we tried so, like yeah, that's awesome. That's so we, sweet, Scott. We tried. Thank you. We tried a half a tab yeah. of the hydrochlorothiazide uh, the night before, and it looked good. So I was like, let's try a whole tab a week later, and mm-hmm. it was too much. Like it flattened mm-hmm. them out, you know. So yeah. we we're like, okay. Yeah. So I really haven't used much diuretics in the last few years. Like I could count it on one hand, maybe how often I have. And when I have, it's been like, hey, let's take a quarter of a diazide. You know, something like mm-hmm. that or to help somebody get the scale down in order to make weight. Um, but I think in this case, man, I might I might shift back to using a mild diuretic, but keeping water high because I in the past I would cut water and use a diuretic. And then you really had to race to fill them back out that morning, you know. Right. Another another thought for people who don't want to use diuretics at all or something that I'm, I might do that. um seems to work well too is do the head down tilt in the bed that's sort of my trick you know that's amazing Um, man yeah yeah so that would be something someone could try and and that's the nice thing you can literally just go about whatever you're doing right your regular week um and then do one one day like that and and you've got your your nighttime weight you got your morning weight you know how much it drops like it gets dropping between 3.2 and 3.4 pounds every night and then i get on the uh i put the head down tilt on use i mean it's funny it, i was been cleaning stuff out of my house and i found some of my blocks that i bought at one point in time in the last few years for doing those i got these 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 foot risers um so you have your foot risers that you use you know what your angle is you set up like look now i'm now i'm dropping you know two more pounds or three more pounds and yeah. i look better i look great you could even grade that instead of you know mm. jacking the bed all the way up you jack it up half as much <laughs> as opposed to one tab versus a half a tab we right? should try that this year uh, matt would be totally up for that because he's going to do a few more yeah. shows now he's got a lot of time yeah. between now and september so we're just going to start knocking him out because it's not like he has to do a lot to peak for him you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah you you could even literally like do that same if you have a scenario between these shows where do the same testing process and, and, st- and now your condition instead of is one tab or a half a tab a um, high course thiazide, you use full head down tilt or half head down tilt, right? Yeah. Fully tolerable so he's not sliding into the head. Yeah, the, the magic trick. Um, <laughs> it's the trick. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so you can try that out. And that's, you know, 
that's speaking of rebounding, um, just so people know, like that's something you got to be careful with this because you can create regurge if you're going to bed with a full stomach full of food. Oh, and yeah. You're lying, you know, inverted to some degree, then your food's going to head head towards your head um, and that can cause some some reflux issues. But um, that's something that can be done. And I've done this in the past when you're when you have water retention that's resulting from your post contest period and putting more food in what have you. And there's other things. That's a whole other, whole other um, set of questions, you know, how to control the water. We actually um, had three people before. who gave us uh, super chats. So let's do this. Oh, sweet. Let's okay. answer these three questions. And okay. because guys, you have to understand that when you ask Scott one question, that's basically a podcast in itself. Time, time yeah. wise. Um, that's all we'll have time for. So don't send as much as I said, thank you. Don't send any more super chat questions because we won't have time to answer them. But Matt had said, um, well, first before that, he said, uh, the, the return of my favorite Scott's, uh, thank huh. you, coach Scott and Dr. Scott. So, all right, we're glad to be here. And thank you, Matt. He said, um, hi guys. Do you think long-term GH, uh, use can actually hinder connective tissue and weaken them? I've heard a few theories. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think. I've looked a little bit to kind of test that out. Like a, a, a model is people with acromegaly. Um, oh. People like, yeah, like Andre the Giant. Um, and I, and I, the, the answer to that question might be found if someone has tested the mechanical properties of growth hormone um, or of connective tissues from acromegaly patients to see that they for instance do have thicker skin you know that's one thing the uh, dermis is thicker yeah so people have said you know one of the reasons why you, you don't see athletes nowadays getting in shape like they used to in the 90s that whole thing that's been you know beat to death yeah. is all the gh use it kind of thickens the skin and there's water retention from gh and there's been there's potential if someone's been using gh for a long time um, it's, it does seem to, if, if you look at the acromegaly, that's suggests that points at least to the possibility that you are getting a thickening of the skin there that's from the long-term GH use. So maybe your body fat is low, but if you have a thicker skin, you don't, the muscles don't look where you want them to. So I don't know if you got a situation, this is kind of my, also was my thought with BPC 157. Um, when you're, when you've got an adaptation, we can just use muscle tissue as the thing I sort of know the most about i guess is muscle is a very 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 plastic um tissue skeletal muscle i'm thinking of now um and it adapts very very specifically to the to the stresses imposed upon it right endurance training is totally different than than resistance exercise and there's differences there you talk about high rep training versus low rep training so fiber type specific differences the amount of mitochondria that are produced et cetera, et cetera. and there's all these variations um among individuals and part of what's going on there is a, a very intricately coordinated specific adaptation based on the person's genetics and their epigenetics to evoke an adaptation that matches the nature of the stimulus so that's a fancy way of saying specific adaptations to impose demands as they say right this whole said thing so um, if you've got a scenario now where various things contribute to how connective tissue proliferates, we've got the mechanical stimulus, right? Um, we've got in influence of all the hormones. And let's say we have something like BPC-157, or in this case, we're talking about growth hormone. 
that is enhancing connective tissue protein synthesis. Yeah. That's kind of like um, car enthusiasts will know much more about this than I do. But let's say you take a Pinto and you throw some sort of turbo in there. Yeah. Right? And, you, and, and, that, and now, now you're going to get more power, right? <laughs> turbo Pinto. But, turbo Pinto. But you've got, a, you've got a, a vehicle that's not set up otherwise to handle the mechanical demands that the turbo imposes on it. Like sure. everything from the frame to the exhaust system, et cetera, et cetera. So you could, you could end up with a situation where, yeah, like you've got more connected tissue accumulating, but let's say growth hormone turns on the, um, the expression in a way that, that doesn't create um, an optimal or for, for someone who's trying to do really, really heavy lifting, an optimal amount of elasticity um, in that tissue. So now you're, you're lo- you don't have the mechanical properties that are, that are adapted to the stimulus. You have mechanical properties that have been brought on by the growth hormone. Yeah. So now you've got a Pinto that can go really fast, but only goes really fast because you put a turbo in it and you didn't match the rest of the parts of the system to that turbo. So now you've got a Pinto that's, that's looking to blow up on you. And now you've got, in the case of growth hormone, hypothetically speaking, I don't know, you've got connected tissue that's looking to blow up on you. It's looking hmm. to break because you've tossed in an exogenous, super physiological growth hormone that's turning on just in, in, its, in the ways that growth hormone does, and I, I couldn't tell you what the, the mechanisms are specifically, but that's turning on those aspects of growth of, of connective tissue um, protein stimu- uh, synthesis in a way that is imbalanced. So you run, you run into an issue. And I, I've kind of wondered, I've had to talk to a couple of people, for instance, who use a lot of BPC um, to help recover from pec tears. Yeah. And the thing I sort of glean from a couple, a few of those interactions now is that they had other inter- other issues that um, they had other tears down the road, and they kind of wondered if maybe you know there was something there. They really? Again, Interesting. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, um, th- there's someone I won't say any names because I don't think you would care, but there was someone who uh, tore a major ligament slash tendon, okay. um, and so they they had to get that reattached, mm-hmm. right? And um, one of the things that happens when you have that reattachment is the first order of business is to regain um, flexibility in the, about that joint. So we're talking about the knee joint here, the patellar tendon, patellar ligament, how you want everyone call it. When that tears away, you know, you get that reattached. Whatever way you do it, like now you got to regain knee flexion. So, you know, you start off and you're casted for X number of weeks and then you can barely bend your knee. And the thought was, well, what if I put BPC-157 in there? Right. Hmm. That's going to that's going to speed up connective tissue synthesis and repair. Yeah, that's cool. That's great. But what if you do that before you regain your your normal range of motion? So now you now you've laid down the scaffolding of that connective tissue in that ligament slash tendon in a way that is set it up to have limited range of motion because it's only experienced limited range of motion. Yeah. You'd want to get that range of motion back. So that the tissue, then whatever sensing um, mechanisms are in place for sensing, you know, how much elasticity do we have to have in that in that piece of tendon slash ligament? Um, then, okay, now we got we got the parameters in terms of range of motion in place, and now we can speed up the repair thereafter, perhaps. But if you do it too easy and out of sync, mm-hmm. you can end up with a really really strong patellar ligament. That's perfectly suited to up to 30 degrees range of motion. <laughs> and then and then otherwise, when you try to go beyond that, what would happen is it would, it would inferiorly subluxe your patella, right? 
you I start see. to you start to bend your knee too much, and the thing doesn't stretch out the way it's supposed to. It just keeps your patella too low, and all of a sudden, then your knee just hurts like shit. And you you're like, oh shoot, I patched it up too fast, right? Yeah, yeah. The same thing so, with scarring. You know, you've, I'm sure you've heard that. Exactly. You know, yeah. scarring that they they warn against using you know growth and stuff because you can get you know, too much collagen laid down and get you know denser, thicker scars. Somebody had talked about that not too long ago. It was actually, it was a while ago. He was kind of a it, it, really eccentric guy. I don't want to mention his name, but uh, a, a chemist type guy that I had on the show. Yeah. And he had said that he thought that he, he said, I see all these women that are using VAR and that they're getting, mm. you know, acne. And then the acne because of the increased collagen is creating thicker scarring and they're messing up their complexions. Like he had this, mm. he went off on this whole thing, but it would make sense. You know, if you were to say have mm. bad acne and then have higher collagen production, uh, you know, you could get worse acne scarring. Yeah. And so, and that's an awesome, you know, awesome thought with the scar tissue. I mean, that's, that's what, that's, to what extent we're actually doing that. You know, you, you think about, you know, muscle injury is what we're sort of inducing with um with training um you know and when you're if you're stimulating if you've got constant tension the connective to what to what extent does you know do we can we end up with brittle tendons so that's been demonstrated i think it was with winstrol and at least one of a couple studies suggested that winstrol tended to make tend to impair the um the elasticity of connective tissue so yeah so you're, if you're turning on this these these pathways in a in an out of sync manner you could run into issues um, yeah for sure 100 percent. all right so, let me see what else we have here question. and collagen yep. i always suggest collagen because i saw mm-hmm. such a big difference in my life as far as i mean i know it's not like um it's not as sexy as taking some sort of like you know crazy peptide but I, man i've seen right. a huge difference for myself um okay so dd had this one for us and thank you very much dd he said 30 grams of fat per day for a long cut and up down which carbs is the way to go to a successful cut uh, from biochemistry I learned that is it also in RL real life um, thank you I didn't even know what that meant real life I swear to God I, I didn't even know that yeah okay yeah uh, I don't sure that I understand his question I got the, I got the real life with the rest but 30 grams a day for, <laughs> 30 grams of fat per day for a long cut and up down which carbs is the way to go for a successful cut and up down um, gosh he paid 599 I gotta try to give some kind of an answer here um, maybe he'll give us some more information like can yeah maybe, and maybe uh, uh, English exactly. isn't his first language either that's possible but um, up down because I'm wondering if he means like which, yeah, yeah. Just give us some more information, brother. We'll be looking for it and we'll jump to the next question from Stephen. And uh, this is a guy from Garden City, Garden City Powerhouse. He said he he also yeah. went to uh, Canton as well. So I wonder if I'd seen him there. And I wonder if you ever met Scott Hughes. There's a Scott Hughes at every gym. Scott, he was he was big what? dude. He was a big guy even when I started training there. This was like 2005. He's a big guy today. I just saw him backstage at the Michigan State Championships. He lifted him and his twin, him and his brother were there, and his dad was there. His dad was like 80, and he would squat every every couple of days, and he would squat some weight too. But Scott Hughes was the strongest guy in the gym, and Uh he was the loudest guy in the gym. 
every gym has a Scott Hughes. I wonder if Stephen knows who that was. But his question was this. He says, um, uh, can high uh, estrogen lower motivation? Don't have any other sides, but I'm on 1500 sust farm grade, 400 NPP, 600 trend E, 100 milligram oxase, uh, six weeks in my motivation to train has suffered lately. Should I do an AI? I would say get your lab work done first. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would feel, I imagine I would feel like garbage with all that. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. That's a lot, man. Like the, I, I would, I mean, it could be that estrogen is the higher estrogen is, is part of what's going on there. Yeah. Um, I can, I can imagine that entirely, but um, with that load, it could just be toxicity, you know, um, water retention could be sky high. Um, you know, you've got all that, all those chemicals floating around. I mean, and that's, that's the thing that, you know, the sort of the dose response for gear is, is related to on the, you know, that on the one side, what you're, tr- why you're using the gear, the anabolic effects you get from it on the other side, the negative side effects as a whole. So, you know, maybe technically if you suffered no side effects that would be better than using half that much Mm. but at that amount if you got that much water retention and your estrogen's high and maybe that's something that's reducing your sex drive i think i mean i think having good sex drive is and i don't know the the brain neurochemistry to this but you know it having a high sex drive is associated with a a feeling of well-being to some degree unless it's out of control then maybe it's kind of concerning right but um you know, sex, decent sex drive is, or bad sex drive is associated with depression, good sex drive, not so much. So, you know, if his sex drive is, is impaired at this, that may be part of it too. Um, you walk in, walk into a, um, a restaurant, you know, and the and you're hungry and all the food looks good. That's totally different than if you walk into a restaurant you're like, okay, this is just kind of whatever you go into a room and you're, you know, a heterosexual male and you go into the gym and you're like, wow, there's lots of nice looking women in here. I really like being in this here, in this area. This we're social beings. So we take in the energy. So if his sex drive is, is cut out. No, he says it's through the roof. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's good. So so much for that. I um, wonder, like, I mean, okay. A hundred milligrams of draw that in yeah. six weeks in my motivation to train has suffered lately. I wonder how his liver is doing. First of all. You know, because that, that in itself, man, if, you, if you're getting bogged down, you know, your mm-hmm. liver's not functioning as thoroughly as well. I, I feel like the number one thing I would do is I would cut those out. And if you see a difference in one week, then you'll know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You'll know that was the answer. But I would get labs. Just get labs and, and see. You'll have to get a, um ultra sensitive estrogen test. Because he's on the trend E, you know, so mm. that that kind of throws those estrogen mm-hmm. readings off. Um, but he, he does have a lot going on here. Plus, you know what? He's running 219 Norse. And, you know, some people it, some people can get away with that. Um, yeah. It used to be when I was learning about all this stuff 20 years ago, they used to always tell you never to do that. And, of course, since then, mm-hmm. it's been showing, like, yeah, people, there are some people that do just fine with it. But when people said never to do that, they said it for a reason, you know, because you're mm-hmm. compounding to 19 nors. And 19 nors are compounds that not everybody gets along with really well. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I, I've known people that have had major mood changes using a 19 nor. 
So that, I mean, it very well could be even that combo too, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's so many things that could be at play with all that, with all that in there. That's just a high, yeah, high level. Um, so in, in, it might also just kind of the last note on that is motivation. Is it just motivation to train? And mm-hmm. what what is if he had to write it down or explain to someone what is his motivation to train? What motivates him? What what makes for a good a good sense of motivation when he goes in the gym? Mm. Right. And is, and is that, is the motivation to train where it appears the most or is he actually feeling that way the rest of the time? I mean, a, a lot of, a lot, I've heard very often, you know, guys are using lots of stuff. Like they really don't feel very good at all. Um, and the one time they really kind of feel good is when they go in the gym and all of the stuff that they're taking pays off because they're moving massive loads and they're kicking ass and look awesome in the gym. And in the gym that like, that's that one or two hours out of a 24 hour time when they actually feel good. And the rest of the time, they kind of feel like crap, and they wish they were on the stuff. So yeah. he may have, it may have gotten to the point where like it's just too much toxicity. He needs to get rid of the oxys, like you said, or drop the nors down. You know, find some alternative. Like that would be the, you know, for sure. You do do a couple of those things. Yeah. You know, get the bloods, like you said, and then get rid of the toxicities. Get rid of the double up on the on the nors. Um, get your estrogen back down if it's high, and then. Um, and then that could remedy like right quick. He said Only too. He said, says. he said labs yeah. in two weeks. Now I don't know if he had planned to do labs in two weeks or his doctor was going to see him in two weeks. But that's mm-hmm. a long time from now. If you're feeling mm-hmm. like crap, I I would just jump on it. You know, you can go through private labs, MD or Alto Labs or Direct Labs, and you could get those mm-hmm. things. I mean, you could really get them done. I mean, it's Sunday, but you could do it by tomorrow. You know, you could set up an appointment, buy it now and do it tomorrow. Just get, you know, like a, it, they have like a, a bodybuilder package at Private Lab MD that's, I think, like 80 bucks. And it will cover mm. uh, estrogen, testosterone and all your health markers. So you could see, you know, what's going on there at least. And, mm-hmm. and that might give you some insight, but I, yeah, I think cutting some stuff back and really Scott, let me tell you, man, I, I think you'd agree with this. Like you going into a cycle, I want to already be number one. I want to be feeling really good. Right. Like, and I want to be really strong, you know, and the, the analogy mm-hmm. that I've used with people is like, if we were in a racetrack and I, I don't know a lot about cars, but I would imagine that if we were going to hit the nitro button, we would already want to be like cranking, right? We're lapping around. We have track. a wobbly hubcap at that point. You're yeah, right. yeah. You don't want yeah. a wobbly hubcap, and you don't want to hit the nitro button when you're in second gear. You would use it when you're topped out. So when right. you're already, I would, I would say the best place to start a cycle is when you're feeling that hundred percent, and then the cycle should only make you feel better. You know, I used to be mm-hmm. under the impression years ago that like you had to endure these terrible side effects. Like that was just part of it. And you had to mm-hmm. fight through poor appetite and all that. No, man, you want to make it you want to you want it to make you feel better. You want it to enhance. And if it takes mm-hmm. away, then it actually could be hurting your bodybuilding, you know, short term and long term. The, the more like, you know, I, I think about this and experience things the more I think that less is better, yeah. more is not better. And that exactly what you're saying is that, you know, when, when you're starting to experience negative sides, you're welcome, Stephen. When you're starting some negative sides in, you know, in terms of training motivation or appetite or night sweats or all those sorts of things, 
you know, even if the dose is teensy, we have to relativize all this and think about the average male producing like 10 milligrams of testosterone a day. Yeah. Like that's, that's our system. We're talking about set points. That's, that's where our system is sort of made to regulate itself. So when you go to just 500 milligrams of test a week, like you're already, you know, you're already two times outside the range. It's very interesting. In fact, that biologically that higher doses do produce greater responses. But when you're talking about, it was total with, he was at two grams over two grams, you know, that's, that's 2000, 2000 milligrams. That's 20 times, you know, endogenous production of, of androgens. And some harsh it's compounds high. too, between yeah, the draw exactly. and the trend and the MPP. Right. It's a, it's a hefty combo. So let's use your analogy. Like you, you got your vehicle is made to go like 30 miles an hour and you're trying to try and make it go 600. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Maybe drop it back to 300 as your goal speed. Right. <laughs> and, and if you feel good and like your training is awesome and your appetite is awesome, your sense of well-being is great, then you're right. only you're only going to continue to make good progress. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. so uh, DD did get back to us, by the way. So here's what he said. Yeah, I saw I mean, there. yeah he says, OK, um, he says, no, I'm asking if keeping fat at 30 grams of, and he did mention that English is not his first language, um, for three to four months and having periods of low carbs and high carbs, like up and down. So I think he means a carb cycle. Is mm-hmm. that the way to go for a successful cut? So he's talking about should he wants to, he's considering carb cycling and mm-hmm. he's thinking he's going to just set that, set the fats at 30 grams. I don't know why he's setting his fats at 30 grams, but mm-hmm. he's setting his fats at 30 grams and then manipulating carbs only. Could that be a successful uh, method for cutting? Absolutely. It could yeah, potentially, sure. you know? Yeah. I mean, he's going to get 200, 270 calories from fat a day. And then let's say he's got, let's say he's 200 pounds. Don't know how much he weighs. Looks looks pretty good in that avatar. Yeah, he's got some he's muscle got another on 600 him. calories, you know. So he's got like maybe 1,000 calories from protein and fat, right? So, and then he can get whatever calories he needs. Um, he can vary his carbs based on whether he's training or not that day, how much activity he has that day. Um, what muscle groups he's training per se, you can actually absolutely do that for sure. It's as, as whether it's the way to go. Um, there's multiple ways to go. You can do all sorts of things. You can do skip loading, you know, where you would just have things relatively constant in the, during the week. And then you just go to town, you know, in a skip load fashion on the weekends, you can do a cyclical ketogenic diet where your carbs are minimal and your fat would be much, much higher. Right. You can not carb cycle. You know, and then just have refeeds. You have to eat the same thing, you know, most of the time. Or then you have one big refeed a week. Which is so, still kind of like a cycle. You know what I mean? Because it's still cyclical, yeah. 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 Because yeah, you're, you're depleting so, through the week and then loading on that one yeah. day. I'll tell you that personally, um, what I might do if I'm coming from an off-season to a cut, I would probably keep the protein high, of course, you know, keep the protein moderate mm-hmm. to high and high, really high, I guess you'd say moderate for bodybuilding purposes, you know, but, but right. I would, I would then start to reduce the carbs and fats until I started seeing progress. And at some point we may end up going to a carb cycle, but you know what, mm-hmm. but it, do you need the 30 grams of fat, Scott? 
during a cut? Is it necessary? Because he's, you know, is there a reason that you must have these 30 grams of fat in? Because I know that there's been times, man, that there might be a guy who needs to pull more fats out than that in order to get like extremely lean. Yeah. I mean, if he's got no carbs and just fat and I mean, he, and he said he's 73 kilograms. So, you know, he's about 170, 180. Okay. Um, so, you know, then he's running at like 900 calories a day. Um, so if he's got, if he's pulled his carbs and he's, and then he starts pulling fat, then he's down to like 800. Then we're talking, we're getting, we're approaching a protein sparing modified fast. And that protein veggie days, they mm-hmm. have to happen sometimes when you're trying to get the 4%, you have to do that every once in a while, depending on the person. If you're Jay Cutler, you're eating 500 grams of carbs, you know, at your lowest point, you know? Yeah. If you're dieting, like I would have to do, a lot of people have to do like, you know, there was once when John Meadows was trying to make light heavy and he was, his only proteins, I think he was just going with essential ad- amino acids. That was because he was trying to cut protein. Wow. Which, you know, I don't, I don't think he would do this now. This was many, many moons ago, but yeah. Um, so yeah, if he's natural, you want to have some fat, potentially there's not a ton of data. There's potentially some saturated fat for testosterone production, but it's going to go in the shitter anyway. When you get, try to get down to 4%, you're going to lose that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the third, and you want to have essential fatty acids in there. So, I mean, you don't, you know, you don't need a lot though, right? Like you don't need you don't 30 need a grams. Lot. Like, yeah. You don't need 30, <laughs> take 30 grams of fish oil a day. You don't need Ooh, that for sure. It's a lot of fish oil. So yeah. Yeah. I know there's a lot of burps right there. Ugh. Um, yeah, but, so yeah, he could, you could do, I mean, the thing is there's so many ways to do this. First and foremost, I have like a, I have a nutritional hierarchy of, perform, of, of importance in my, in my book. So um, first thing that's important is you have to have a caloric deficit of some sort over the course of time. That doesn't okay. mean every single day, uh, you, you know, like every time, like, here's the thing, like we're in a caloric deficit. It's like, well, every time you eat, you've got incoming calories. You're not in a caloric deficit. And then three or four hours later, you're in a caloric deficit because you're oxidizing fat. So that's always going back and forth as you eat and then become post-absorptive and you're, then you're running on body fat and then you eat again and then you're a caloric excess for, for a few minutes, for a couple hours. Yeah. So, But you have to have that in place some way, shape, or form. And then you want to meet those essential fatty acid requirements. Um, and with 30 grams, you can easily do that, right? And the most, I think someone, um, Tina said, said it somewhere in there. Yeah. And he said he's on 300 milligrams of test E, not going up with the drugs. That's plenty of tests okay. to support muscle. That'll, you hold, know? that'll, that'll hold death without a doubt. Um, someone said, do what's right for you. So um, everyone's people, for whatever reason, they do better with certain types, certain ways of dieting. Yes. A lot of it can be purely psychological, I think. So if, if he can set, let's say, up with some sort of carb cycling, like he was kind of suggesting might be the way he was asking about where every three or four days he gets sort of a high carb meal that, that can psychologically, you can be like, I just got to diet for two or three days. And then I get a nice good meal and then my diet's done. Or maybe I have a, a refeed day, like every four or five days that can be done too. Yeah. And then you're just looking at periods of not being able to eat, eat what you would prefer, prefer to for a very tolerable period of time. Um, other end of that, like, let's say you eat the same thing all the time, like every day, like you're constantly eating chicken and rice and chicken and rice and you're always kind of hungry and that just sucks. Like that's, that may not be sustainable. That could lead people to binges. So he'll have to find whatever sort of patterning kind of works best for him. Um, and then 
over the course of several diets, he may find, you know, well, you know, when I keep my carbs really low, my appetite is really, really low. It makes it easy to mm. diet. I just yeah. don't eat any carbs. I know I can eat these things. I enjoy the fatty foods. They taste good to me. And the higher protein levels are satiating. I'll just go keto and then I'll do carb ups. And then I'll do low fat. And those days it might be less than 30 grams of fat because he's doing a, a low carb fat up. Uh, low carb fat up. But a low fat <laughs> carb up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or maybe you could do a low carb fat up too. Like you could do some fat loading if you wanted to. What, whatever. Um, so, yeah. So that's one way to try things out. And I think that's a nice pattern, the, the carb cycling, um, where he could try that. You know, some people do very moderate carbs. So his carbs might be 100 grams, 200 grams, 300 grams on different days. He's like, okay, you know, and I see that kind of works for, for me, but what if I just like for a lot of people, like a hundred grams is kind of like that eh, in between place. If they go to 50 or less and they're kind of, there might be some ketosis, maybe not, but they don't have hunger as much as they would if they get to hundred grams and hundred grams, is like, oh, I want some more carbs. And then, and then you, there's sort of like a no man's line there. So he may find that he does better with 25, 50 grams and maybe more fat on other days. And then when he has a high carb day, then he flips things and he, he doesn't go to just 100, 150 grams of carbs. He goes to 300 grams of carbs. Yeah. And he could figure that out by, by carb cycling. And then eventually, you know, just changing the, um, the amplitude of those carb waves, right? So that if, if and, and the depth of the niveaus, so he's going from higher carb to lower carb, um, or maybe he likes to keep it more consistent with just one meal. That's just like an extra 50 grams of carbs. Um, on certain days and maybe he needs the consistency because some people they like they don't like to be all willy-nilly all over the place yeah no shit what i gotta do today like no just tell me what to do and And then i get if i get a cheap day somebody don't want cheap days they're like i don't want that no 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 no. i'm I'm good yeah i'm I'm cool you know this is fine like i got it i got this i can handle i can do this so that's super important sustainability in a caloric deficit over time is the name of the game yeah Yeah. Yeah. When I set somebody up on a diet, a big part of it, like when I first started coaching, I understood how to get people in shape in a very limited way. So it was really important that we did things the way I knew how. And we used the foods that I was very confident in. But the longer I've done it, I I feel like there's like you said earlier, there's so many ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it comes down to personal preference. If he likes to keep fats in. You know, and he can do that through manipulating carbs, you know, more power to him. I have seen that sometimes people tend to do better with one or the other, with carbs Mm -hmm. or with fats, Um, and and that they struggle sometimes to make great fat loss progress with both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And 30 grams, it's still on the lower end. You know what I mean? It's not a... But I mean, if you were if you were like seven percent body fat, and we need to get you leaner, and you've been carb cycling, then I might consider pulling out fifteen grams of fat, and we might get that yeah. real quick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He mentioned um, something about biochemistry and thirty grams. Mm. Um, maybe there was something there in the original question that we missed. Let but, me scroll back there. Yeah, I'll, there I'll was. There's it. actually a couple studies that this isn't generally accepted, but there were a couple studies where they they looked at high carb and low carb um, differences from biochemistry. I learned that. So somewhere the thirty that grams. Maybe of fat. we need thirty grams. Something like oh, that okay. is, is what he was okay. thinking. Yeah, 
that's like maybe 10% of your diets. That's actually a little more than 10%, but 15, 15% is probably like 15% is the minimum of the fat in the recommended, you know, percentages. Ah, okay. So that's probably where I got it. Um, but there, there, and I cite these in my book, I think there are a couple studies that suggested that in those individuals who, when they dropped their carbs, they remedied poor insulin sensitivity that those, those individuals did better on the low carb diet. If oh, someone okay. didn't have impaired insulin sensitivity and, and you know, the carbohydrates okay to keep in, in that case, then it didn't really matter whether they went high carb or low carb. Interesting. So, so yeah, that kind of suggests that, you know, insulin sensitivity, which you could use a, a homeostatic model of insulin assessment, HOMA, which is just insulin times your resting blood sugar. You can there's use a HOMA index uh, calculators online, so you can get a fasting insulin and blood sugar. You just multiply those two things together, so th that tells you relative to whatever your blood sugar is, it could be you know high normal, but if you maintain a high normal with very low insulin levels, that means that your insulin sensitivity is very high. You could have low insulin, low blood sugar levels, but relatively higher insulin. And that would suggest that, you know, to keep those levels stable, even though they're low, it takes a lot of insulin. So you're not very sensitive to insulin because there has to be a lot there to keep it at a stable place, even though it tends to be low. Okay. But anyway. He, here was so, his, his thing, though. He okay. said it's it, it, it comes from health oh, yeah. concerns. He, so he's thinking yeah. health concerns of low fats. Honestly, though, health-wise, I mean, we're not talking about for the rest of his life, right? We're talking mm -hmm. about for... Uh, you know, a controlled period of time to lose fat. It wouldn't be ideal to be like, hey, let's take you down to minuscule fats, trace fats for the rest of your life, right? But yeah. health-wise, how, yeah. <laughs> how would he do with, let's just say, a minimal essential fats, um, say through through the occasional uh, salmon and using fish oil, stuff like that, and maybe a cheat meal once a week or something like that. I mean, health-wise, he's not really going to hurt himself. And part of that, too, like, is going to be because he needs to produce testosterone, which he doesn't have to worry about. So it would be more yeah. about, like, cholesterol and things like that, I guess, we'd be mm -hmm. interested in. I, I think a seto diets a lot of his people down with really low-fat low, low fat diets. Yeah. Um, and it's temporary, think, right? Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, when you – if you have – I mean, those essential fatty acids, well, they wind up in membranes. They can also be tested in the blood. Um, but once they're there, it's not like it's not like a vitamin, like a water-soluble vitamin that just flushes out. Like, you know, and yeah. you don't get any vitamin C. You, you can, I don't know how long it takes to get scurvy, but, you know, you don't have any vitamin C coming. And eventually your vitamin C, you come depleted of vitamin C. It takes, I don't know how long it takes. Probably could figure this out, dig in the literature, but. Once you've got those essential fatty acids in place and you've been, so you've been supplementing with them in your off season and, you, and you're still doing that. Um, it's you just to completely cut them out for, for months, right? It's not like all of a sudden, like you're going to suffer the, all, all of a sudden all your prostaglandin, you know, um, mediated processes are going to come to a standstill and like you end up with just horrible whole body inflammation or something like that because you haven't had any essential fatty acids. Those are still around for quite a while. So it takes some time before they would get used up. So, you know, as long as you're not dieting for 10 years straight with no incoming essential fatty acids. Yeah. Um, or anything. You, yeah. So then it wouldn't. wouldn't and the body's resilient. Fine. You know, I, I think that there's oh, yeah. that like health to performance balance that we're talking about here. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That we, mm -hmm. in order to get, ex so 
in order to get extreme performance, there is going to be some level of compromise with health. Does it have to be like an all out compromise where we're like, okay, I'm going to sacrifice everything now, you know, but, right. but there is, yeah. we do have to recognize though, that, you know, we're, we're shifting the scales for performance at this time. And that mm-hmm. part of that is then how do you handle the rest of the year? You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and this is what supplements are for, you know, mm-hmm. that you yeah. don't like, instead of, instead of like, actually you can get a decent dose of essential fatty acids um, from salmon, let's say, I mean, I don't know about, some of the farm raised salmon, I kind of wonder, yeah. you know, what you might be getting from there. Um, but if you have some, you know, fresh caught Atlantic salmon or whatever during the right time of year, you're going to, you're going to get a sizable amount, but let's say you really like, you're trying to get to 4% body fat. So you got to like, you got to pay attention to everything. You still can take, you know, some fish oil supplement supplements and get, yeah. get, get those needs met, you know, without a problem. So, that's the main thing, you know, people like you can look up the Pritikin diet, which people did for years and people weren't dropping dead from the Pritikin diet, which was super duper low fat. Um, so, no, I think I have to see where that, you know, that where that came from. If it was like a biochemistry class, um, I wouldn't trust that factoid from a biochem. Mm. It wasn't even maybe from a from a nutrition class. So wherever that source of information is, I don't know that I I'd, I'd look and see if there's a, a reference some supporting information behind wherever that came from. It may have been something she just kind of remembered in the back of mm-hmm. his head. Sometimes like, cause I had, you know, several biochemistry classes and it was always nice when a teacher would try to provide some real world, real world relevance to whatever biochemical processes that just seem like they're, they're just mind games, you know, at some point. Yeah. And they'd say, yeah. And if you go below 30 grams of fat, you'll die. You know, within yeah. three months. They, <laughs> they toss this strange stuff out and you're like, Ooh, you're the body. Like, Ooh, that makes sense. Never go below 30. Cause I want to, I'll die before my contest. Right. No. Yeah. So sometimes those things, you know, they don't really have um, any direct evidence to support them per se. So that may be a you know, completely out of context number that was, you know, unsupported by any real scientific literature that you really shouldn't pay that much attention to. So. All right. Well, unfortunately I got to go, Scott. Uh, we, we're, we're a longer, little long on time here, which is great. Everybody's hanging with us. I have uh, an appointment today. Uh, Miss Olympia is coming over to train in the home gym. Oh yeah. You were talking about that. Phenomenal. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, dude. I wore the shirt to uh three time, three time champ, Miss Olympia that. working on four this year. So uh, she's coming over to train in the home gym, and uh, we are going to do some leg training. So it's, it's going to be good, man. Dude. She probably trains with high volume, too. Is she going to do oh, a regular dude. deal? Yeah, yeah. She, she's definitely high volume, and she's fast. Like, her workouts are, are quick. She'll, she'll do a lot of, like, um, circuit training. And uh-huh. we did the last workout that uh, that I, I did with her was back and she superset. She started out with um, all machines. OK, she started out with the hammer hammer strength. <laughs> I guess. I, is it a high row or what do they call it? The one where you bring it down like this. Yeah, there's a high row. It's kind of like a 45 degree. Yeah. Bringing it over. down like that. Yeah. So she People did that one. Down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, superset that with the hammer strength machine where you're sitting like this and you just pull it toward you and the plates are down low, the low row. Mm -hmm. And then from there, a supported T-bar row machine for the third. And man, those supported T-bars were brutal. Like she pushed it. 
And then after that, she she superset. Like, it wasn't a rear delt, but it was like an upper back that she was doing with the mm-hmm. reverse pec deck, followed by mm-hmm. bent over with 225-pound plates doing one of these, like squeezing her traps in the back, not not yeah. as much the rear delts. Uh, uh-huh. And it uh, that was brutal. And then we went over to some cables to finish. So she she hustles through, man, and then she goes heavy. So, like, it gets progressively harder. And by that third mm-hmm. set, she's failing on every exercise hard. Uh-huh. So it's like, you uh-huh. can imagine, man, it's intense stuff. Are you guys going to do an interview, too? Or are you just just, just We're shooting video for Mutant. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So whatever they want. Yeah, so we're going to do, we're basically just going to record the workout. So, I mean, she's the most muscular, for sure, Miss Olympia we've ever had. Her physique is just, like, otherworldly, right? Yeah. Symmetry, everything. She's, you know, she's, I mean... Linda Murray seemed to be the standard, but like what she's, what her physique is just out of this world. And I, I have the strong sense based on that. Her, her, all of her genetics are just set up, like throw in any exercise stimulus and you're going to get muscle growth. Oh Doesn't yeah. matter what she does. She could probably go out and, you know, she would be like that person who's running the marathon, right? And she's trained for a marathon. You look at her legs, like she still looks like Flojo, right? Her legs look like they're made for sprinting because they just, she just grows muscle mass. So she can do whatever she wants. The more she trains, the more muscle she grows, probably. Yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. She's just, like, equipped for that perfectly. That's yeah. cool. So I'm excited. She's going to come over for that in another – I've got about an hour to an hour and a half before she swings by, and we're going to record that. You guys can check that out. I'll have links to that when it comes out. We're doing, like, a monthly video installment for Mutant for her. Um, it's, it's, it's her thing that's, like, part of her contractual obligations for Mutant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm the, the videographer for it. So we're doing something different every cool. month. So I'm excited to have, imagine too, like having literally the best female bodybuilder, literally Olympian training in your home gym, you know? That's cool. So I'm yeah. pumped. I told her to bring me by an autographed, uh, one of her autographed eight by tens that I can put up on the wall, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Start. I mean, Hey dude, it ain't, it ain't, ain't over yet. Start with that one. There'll be more people out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Who knows who the next one will be? So that's awesome, dude. Well, have fun, man. Yeah, and thank you for all your time here and and for hanging out with us, Scott. This has been freaking cool. I like this format too, man, you know? This is fun, yeah. We're getting good questions. I mean, sometimes people talk about uh, YouTube and, like, you know, the the comments just sort of can be pretty bad. But we're getting some really sweet questions. We've got some good listeners is the thing. You know what I mean? The the people that are really thinking deep. So. Yeah, we yeah. definitely. I wish we could get to all of them. You know what I mean? It's like there's, there's, there, because there was some more, but we would literally be here for the next two, three hours, and then more people would keep commenting. So it would be like a marathon. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe if we have to raise money for a charity or something like that, we'll do a Q&A marathon and we'll just stay on for like, you know, yeah. 24 hours. That's what we could do. We could do like the, <laughs> you answer questions for a while, then I do like the telethon thing, you know? Right, exactly, like, exactly. I've got like a thermometer, you know what I mean? Like, this, uh-huh. here's our goal, $5,000, and we're like, you know. Maybe for a charity. Yeah, right? Maybe for a dog a dog shelter or something like that. Maybe that at some point in time. That would be fun. Guys, we appreciate yeah. you tuning in. Um, And you know what? Scott has so much more to share. 
Go to his book, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. You can get that on Amazon for the hardcover, byobbcoach.com. You can go there to get the ebook as well as get the Fortitude Training ebook. And of course, check out our sponsors, truenutrition.com. Uh, use our code THINK over there. They've supported our programming long before anybody else had, and I've believed in them long before we ever did podcast. And so did Scott, like years before the podcast even started. So that's a company we definitely believe in, supplementsource.ca. If you happen to be one of our Canadian folks, also you can go to Strom Sports Nutrition if you're in the UK. They've got some good stuff over there. Uh, Amino Asylum, use our code THINK over there for 20% off of all their stuff. And, um, of course, thank you to everybody from Patreon. I didn't see anybody mention that they were from Patreon, but we uh, I appreciate everybody from Patreon because you guys literally are helping to make this channel happen. And uh, thank you to everybody who hit, hit us up with the Super Chats. We appreciate you guys very much. And we'll see you. I don't know if we'll be able to do this in two weeks, Scott. I'm going to be in um, Australia. But we're planning right. for like every other week, Scott and I record, and we're thinking we would just do a live uh, episode of Muscle Minds every other week. So if it doesn't happen next week, we will be back on track, and we appreciate you guys yes, taking the time to hang with us. Right on. Yes. Awesome. All right. Very cool. See, Thank you, everyone. Yeah. See you guys later. Whew. That was cool, dude. We.